Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. Wherever you are, we hope that this finds you well, safe, and healthy. My name is Vince Castaneda. To my left and right, I have Tyler Frank and Randall Ives. Welcome to our new podcast. The first episode, The Launch. What some may consider the pilot of our creation. As friends of almost a decade, partners on the ambulance, brothers on the fire truck, classmates throughout academies, and a collective amount of more than 25 years of experience in education, fire EMS, and military, we have finally gathered here for something greater. We are here today to bring you to a place that you could go to for insightful education, humor, and news. A place that provokes conversation. A place where you could input yourselves and reflect upon the culture of your career. To you all, as brothers and sisters of the fire service, whether it's fire, EMS, law enforcement and corrections, central communication and dispatch, military, or anything medical, if you find yourselves having oath to the one of those colored lineages of duty, this is a place for us all to unite, share, and learn from each other. This is the foundation of what connects us all together. It is the very unity amongst those colorful lines. This is our ultimate collaboration. Welcome to Within Thin Lines. Now let me be the first to say that we are humbled and honored to be here. We welcome you in joining us in a podcast that is led by its audience. Join us with a cigar, have a cup of coffee, whatever it is invites you to relaxation, enjoyment, and of good spirit. We thrive off of you respectfully. We hope that within our time together, we can also reflect on the true culture of what we do, and even more significant, what it is that makes us human. You hold a patch on your shoulder and chest that represents who you defend and who you serve, but you also hold a patch or a plate with a name, which represents where you've come from and who got you here. A patch that represents who makes you, you. And we must never forget to do them both justice and honor. At the end of our episodes, we further invite you to the break room, the kitchen table, the smoke break, whatever you call it, the place you go to after a long day's worth of work to unwind, reflect, and debrief, both uncensored and unjudged. All are welcomed, and in your own individual ways, you are all encouraged to do the same. Now let's start with the ultimate introduction, the who is we? With that, let's begin with Randall Ives. Now, Randy here is actually probably the first friend I made moving to Michigan. You know, we met at a ambulance company. We were on the same department or the same organization. And since then, we progressed together throughout, you know, the paramedic academy. And we became friends from there on. And it was a connection and ultimate just a wanting to build a podcast together. This is where the dreams kind of developed together. And now Randy works on the other side of the state in a little more of a busy area. Randy, how are you today? I'm well, Vince. Thanks for having me here. Thanks for coming all the way from Detroit. You made it through the snow. Glad to be here. So I heard you're starting the fire academy. Yeah, about halfway through now, and uh, we're really enjoying it. That's about one time I was able to start going through this thing. That's one way to be closer to being like me, right? I aspire to be as, as cool as you are, Vince. How is the fire academy going for you? Um, really enjoying it. It's uh, very, very well put together. 
Um, got a great group of people with a lot of experience that have uh, organized this deal. They uh, um, doing a really good job of keeping us uh, organized, keeping us in line, um, and we're we're learning lots. So it's uh, very very happy. Is it different with the uh, pandemic going on? Like uh, smaller turns of class and students. We're definitely a little bit more. I don't want to say tight knit, but we're. Um, got some struggles that we are not having to deal with that other academies are having to deal with because of the, uh, um, the pandemic. A lot of places are still, uh, virtual where we're, we have the ability to be in class. So we are definitely ahead of a lot of, uh, other academies at this point. I mean, after all, it is hard to fight fire virtually, right? Amen. You got to learn like to practice. So other than that, how's, uh, how's work? You're a paramedic full time. Yeah, uh, work as well. I'm a paramedic over in uh, the Flint area, um, the southeast area of Michigan, really. But I am um, based out of the Flint uh, office. Um, I wanted to work where it's bad, and uh, I sure do. I'm sure I'm uh, right. We're right in the thick of things there in Flint City. So, and what do you mean by bad? Um, we are well utilized. Oh, there we go. In emergency medical services, bad AF for emergencies. Sure. Don't get me wrong. There's stub toes in Flint too, but there's a lot more uh, things to do up in Flint. And you told me earlier today you're going for critical care, correct? Yep. Uh, here in a couple weeks, starting with the uh, UMBC program out uh, of Livingston County. Um, looking forward to that, um, and uh, really looking forward to that bigger uh, drug box that I get. So. Yeah, absolutely. So, would you have imagined what eight, nine years ago when we first met? Would we be sitting here holding a podcast in the middle of the cabins in some Allegan Lake? Uh, no. no, that was uh, not uh, a thing that I was ever going to think I would be doing. That's phenomenal. So why are you here? Um, I am here because I really, really enjoy education. I think training is really, really important. Um, I just recently became an instructor coordinator through the state of Michigan as well as a CPR instructor through American Heart Association. Um, something I've found I've done in my adult life that I would do for free if I could, if money wasn't an issue, would be to instruct. Um, I hope to uh, move forward in that and, and actually be a paramedic instructor full-time at some point. Um, just being able to, having gone through the programs and having gone through different uh, schools and gone listened to different people and talked to different people over the 12 years that I've been doing this, um, I feel as though I have, I have a little bit of a niche especially in the younger community, younger crowd, where I can kind of dumb things down, if you will, so that people can understand. And I get a lot of really, really good feedback, not to not to gloat or anything else like that, but I um, do get a lot of really good feedback from people I've instructed in classes I help out with and uh, uh, even uh, field interns that I instruct um, on the truck. I mean, I saw you were doing FTO for a while, so obviously you're doing a good job. Hey, uh, they keep paying me for it. So. <laughs> there you go. Phenomenal. Now, what are your aspirations in the future here, other than in critical care? Where do you want to go? Um, whoever's going to pay me more. <laughs> Not that it's about money, but <laughs> you got to pay the bills. Whoever's going to have the the more uh, um, better beachfront location than sure than Flint. Now, this was our this is technically our second trial of holding the podcast. You know, we had a, a episode recorded maybe two years ago, two summers ago. Many Sat moons. in the backyard with a cigar and a glass of bourbon and just recorded for two and a half hours and realized we had too much content and uh, not enough time. Had an emergency Best Buy trip. and That's right. Got some equipment. And, and now we've amped our equipment even higher. 
That's phenomenal. Perfect. Well, it is an honor to be here with you today and finally kicking off our podcast that we've been dreaming to do for a while. And now I turn to Tyler Frank, who is our third co-host for this podcast. Tyler and I have known each other since the Fire Academy, I'd say about seven years ago. We went to the same academy together, same fire station. Uh, got hired on to a local paid-on-call fire department together. Uh, they put us through the fire academy at two different ends of uh, the spectrum for type of personality. I was this very city individual, and Tyler is a very born in a small town and lives through it, through and through. Um, just same car ride that we go to the academy together, and that's how we kind of learn to, to be good friends and end up being uh, our best men for our weddings together, and here we are. Um, Tyler, how are you today? Doing well, thanks. Thanks for the uh, the long drive of a whole 20 minutes from Hopkins, correct? Yeah. Yeah, yeah and you started a little late because you had a call this morning. Yeah, well, you know how it goes usually. Oh, of course, and now I understand that you're getting ready for the military life, also trying to be like me, right? <laughs> yeah, something of that nature. What are you trying to go in for? Oh, me and my wife made a decision uh, probably this summer that, you know, looking into military careers and something to back up the fire and EMS side of things and both my brothers are in it and you followed into it. I got a couple other guys in my department that are heavy into it. And it's the National Guard in Michigan, so you know, looking to pursue something within the uh, medical field so to keep bolstering all my experiences and something to pay a little extra on the weekends and new doors serve the community in another doors. way yeah. and absolutely just like i said opening new doors now what are you going in as what's your mos well before we jump the gun on anything oh, okay. so we, we're, we're still you know i uh i would have signed up like three weeks ago and went through it all because you know how they the recruitment process goes you know they sell you down the line about as fast as they can but uh i got some good advice and uh, in order to do the 68 whiskey, which would be combat medicine, um, I just had to go back and get my national registry again. I let that uh, achieve my EMT basic back in 2014, and I never planned on working outside of Michigan. I'm kind of a homegrown, small-town person. So now here I am looking at looking at bigger things, and, of course, they recognize the national part of it, so... By going back, I just completed the refresher course, and I just got to test out and get that, and then that should uh, that should make things a little bit better going into it. I like to have all my ducks in a row prior to just jumping in. So it's probably a smart idea. Get everything planned out. Yeah. And hometown, so Hopkins. What are you doing there? Well, never leaving. Is <laughs> what it's been since day one. So sure. Hopkins. Uh, is a small, tiny little town in rural southwest Michigan. Uh, born and raised, and as soon as I was 18, graduated high school, went right into the fire department. And that's where I met this guy from Chicago. So, so, you know, small town. I'm a lieutenant there at Hopkins Fire. I work for a rural EMS company as well. I'm one of the oldest volunteer agencies in the state. So, sure. Well, and I know you had originally started paramedic class. Are you looking to go back to that at some point? Yeah. Yep. Yep. That was kind of part of the decision this year. Obviously, it's changed a lot for a lot of people, and for 
for me and my family, it was a chance to kind of reflect and kind of look at growth, you know. And uh, I've been in trades as well. I mean, family business was heating and cooling. And when I initiated, started uh, paramedic class back in 2015, uh, in the 2016, I was just married and I was working commercial construction and started paramedic class because I do enjoy the medical side of the emergency services and um, I've had some interesting times and success there and learned a lot but wanted to go forward with it and that is tough. That is tough for all you currently medics out there, I'll give it to you. And then uh, trying to work uh, commercial trades and then going right from a job site to paramedic night class and then with all the clinical stuff at that that about did me in and then me and my wife decided to add our firstborn on top of that and family first so I had to step away from it but I knew it was uh, wasn't a permanent step away I knew I just needed some time and you got to do things right and when you get to know me, I'll learn to do it the hard way first, <laughs> and, then, and then I'll come back and probably make a more educated uh, approach to things. Sure. So being a our co-host, obviously we're all honored to have you here as well, but why are you here? What are your motives with us? I've always had, uh, um, I guess media has always been kind of a cool spot. I always loved it. Um, I love cool things, and, and I've heard a lot of people talk. Education's huge. I love training. Um, not that this is like a true blue training podcast, but the art of conversation, and I think that is a huge thing missed um, in present day. So um, I'm a big fan of anything that presents good, wholesome conversation that everybody gets something from. and. No, not to say that I'm the best at conversation, but I'm definitely looking forward to uh, meeting a few people and uh, just cool open door experiences. So, you know, and then uh, also support. This is a this is a career, you know, all across the board, military, police, EMS. That just it uh, it has a network and a history and pride to it that is just like another. I've done a little bit of little bit of everything and uh, but you know people are very proud to do this job so anything I can do any experiences I hold that I can share and hopefully guide other people with any out you know uh, you know that's what I'm looking to do with it is is just be the best I could be and and uh, meet some cool people this is the new age of society everything is podcasts internet on their phones easy access you know we don't have that sense of coming into fire station and seeing what we do it's it's more about what can i learn the easiest way and this is what we've really incorporated and want to do a podcast is giving the insight to not only future recruits but also to retirees and a, a sense to the active duty members for all services to remember to stay human and yeah you have a job to do but you also have a job to do to yourself when you come home and take the uniform off to maintain a healthy balance of hobbies and personal life and that is a sense of culture that we really want to put an emphasis on this uh, podcast and our ultimate mission just to remind yourselves to stay humble and stay healthy absolutely 100 percent agree we'll jump in kind of uh 
chips here here I'll kind of I know you don't like to talk about yourself but the basics of basics here never so, I never like to talk about myself I like to talk and and use my voice but I don't I hate talking I, about myself I know, I know. so so when I met Vince here um, kind of back over that background of mine is that uh, little rule I mean I was 18 farm kid got hired jumped in a tiny little Nissan car um, with three other guys going to fire academy first time I met Vince so that's that's where we kind of took off but rest in peace in Nissan yeah you've had quite the adventure though leading up to that and I was always impressed and admired that so what uh how the heck did you end up in Hopkins you know and then all that prior experience before so funny you ask um I started my career pretty much right out of high school I knew what I wanted to do at a young age and I pursued my EMT license uh, pretty much as I was finishing high school and obviously I had to pursue my college career that's something I wanted to make my mother happy that's something she really pushed she did not like the thought of the military so I kind of let that go at first um, she was more afraid of me joining the military so I pursued that public service in another way and that was through EMS I uh, took a leap of faith coming to Grand Rapids never been here before just kind of traveled through and was like you know what I'm gonna I'm gonna see where life takes me and uh, ultimately was given an opportunity to work for a paid on call volunteer department um, as an EMT who somehow enjoyed the way I did things and gave me a grant to get my paramedic license I never thought about being a paramedic. I just knew that I wanted to be a firefighter, and the prerequisites for most departments is to have some sort of uh, first responder or EMT license. Uh, living local to that department or that organization, um, wanted to live within the county. There's a small town called Hopkins uh, and Watson. Uh, moved in with a friend there or coworker, um, and from there, Hopkins was just told me because I was running their first response unit or their MFR squad they told me that if I ultimately wanted to be a firefighter they'd be willing to send me to the fire academy and that's about the same time you joined the department and that's how we met those 30 minute rides to Hopkins or I'm sorry the uh, county fire academy and getting to know each other um, me being a city guy coming out the rule I love the woods I love nature um, I love the city, but I find inner peace when it comes to out in the peace and quiet. So I ultimately knew that I wanted to be here. And after that, I took an opportunity to join the military because I knew I didn't want to keep my dreams quiet. And I was able to calm my mother down into relaxing and understanding what my ultimate reasonings behind joining the military was. So I joined as a 68 Whiskey, which is a, a combat medic and progress my way up to my current position, which is a flight paramedic. And I pursued my position here by getting my critical care and my flight paramedic credentials. Um, just the advance of the advanced opportunities. I uh, was able to jump on board and take an opportunity over Traverse City Fire Department, which I really enjoyed my time there. It was Paradise City. Um, definitely an urban, but also nature kind of town. Great experience, great guys, um, but I knew that ultimately I needed to be closer to home for family's sake and moved my way back down to Chicago onto their department where I'm currently a firefighter paramedic. 
Uh, been on there for almost two years now and have slowly wanted to be progressing my way up to their water dive air sea rescue because they do have two helicopters so that'll be my ultimate goal with them hoping you know they'd uh, accept me at some point there all bragging rights aside all bragging rights the, aside the the point i i caught with the two conversations and i caught myself saying it yourself and i want to clarify for guys joining in with us the two military stories with joining it you heard I had my wife's permission, and you had your mom's blessing. <laughs> right. <laughs> that, my mom's French, so she. I was it's a big say, blessing again. That was gonna say, you know, not not that you know, it's it's not macho to get permission, but that's part of the culture and part of the family. I was hundred percent. So. Absolutely. And uh, no, that's that's and that's part of this thin line community that it's not just for people in the occupation it's about moms it's about dads spouses kids absolutely so you know i would say they ultimately have a harder job than we do you know we get trained on this we get education we get credentials we get retrained on it on how to do our job and yeah it takes a certain type of personality to do what we do but i think it takes even stronger family member to deal with what we have to go through and what we bring home. So it's a lot of respect that I give to our family members at home. But that's the highlight we're going to have in this podcast as well, is to give a lot of uh, respects to the family members because they have a big role in our, our places yep. too. Absolutely. But, but what about you, Randy? Where do you see yourself And I would say your current situation i mean you told me you wanted to come back to the side of the state because of that sole reason you want to come back to your family yeah i want to be close to my family uh and give them the respect that they deserve i had an awesome childhood growing up and uh i want to make sure that my parents um golden years are are um, surrounded with family and friends and babies and grandchildren and all that good stuff so um be there for them if at all possible um, hopefully we can get some good opportunities on the back on the side of the state and um, come back over. So yeah, big thing about the um, family respect sort of thing. So absolutely. What? what is, oh god. I always. I mean, maybe it's the rural small town in me, but I always equate a lot of a lot of a person's character into the way they were raised and everything. So like what. What did your family or anybody, it doesn't even have to be blood. Um, we all know in this industry, it, there's blood family is kind of an old saying because you meet some people in here that, you know, you take to, the, you, know, you know, their relationship you take to the grave with you because it is just, you know, it's beyond what your family tree says. So what, what got instilled to you, Randy, and then I'll ask the same events, like, what got you into this? And it's not just so much the specifics of your job detail, like just servitude in general. What what was like the turning point for you? Um, so we had uh, we had a guy bring an ambulance into um, the school, middle school, who uh, he was like a you know show off what your dad parents do or for a living or whatever. So he brought his ambulance in. Um, showed it off to us and then six years eight years later uh, I was like trying to figure out what I want to do and that that popped in my head and um, got back in touch with that guy and 
he uh, got me started uh, on a ride along here in GR and then went to school and here we are. So kind of my short end of my story. That was your inspiration. Yeah, something. Same thing for me. I think uh, ultimately we have one person in our life who really gives us that, that big push into our career. Uh, mine would be my father. You know, he, uh, he was a very humble man and hardworking man. He's, he still is very humble. Um, but he, he started off <laughs> coming into the U.S. from Mexico. First job was scrubbing toilets for some local store market out of Texas. And then he retired as a medical director in Chicago. And running his own clinic, he did everything from uh, ER and trauma to even being a doctor for the Navy before they actually had internal doctors and when they used to contract outwards. Um, he hates to show house when the internists because that was his job and he looks at that show and is like that is all fake that's not how they do things so kind of like how we do when we watch the hollywood movies of our job i mean it's fun we like to see what they do but we point out all the bad tricks of the trade like that's not how you start an iv or that's not how you put a collar on board I and mean, we're always judgmental i'm sure our uh, friends and family hate watching those kind of shows with us because we're always barking at it but uh, he was my ultimate inspiration because as a kid, he gave me my first uh, job working as a security officer for his uh, clinic. And uh, I got the exposure of what he really does and how he handles his patients. And uh, just seeing how his family members of the patients themselves were telling me that he, my, my father was a legend. And I never really knew what that meant until I discovered it. And that he was, he was very... Uh, he took his position with honor and he, he really... He had a love for his patients. It wasn't just a, a piece of paper and a, a time limit. He went above and beyond with his patients. So to me, he's a legend. And uh, I think that's what gave me the ultimate decision to go with EMS because of how I saw that medical could affect people's lives. And that's why I'm here now. And obviously medical leads to fire and fire leads to other stuff. And I've progressed my career throughout the military as well. Ultimately, we have a set of expectations for you on what you could technically expect from us for each podcast is a breakdown and a topic of the day. You know, something from news, something from education to give you insight, to kind of provoke and spark that, um, I would say, inspirational attribute. You know, each and one of us here at the uh, as co-hosts for the podcast, we all bring something to the table, and we'll go around shortly and explain through our, our time here. Like for me, I I am a big promoter for fitness. Um, I love to go out to the shooting range as well, and that's kind of my debrief, and that's just something I love to enjoy. And I always try to promote for others to just go out and remind themselves to pick up a hobby and live that hobby life. But top of that just going over the personal education or personal motivation for training and then we will give you a little bit of scenario drills and have you sit down and think about what you would do in this scenario uh, whether it's a scenario we've experienced in the past or something we come up through our experience um, and then we will relate and hopefully outreach to other cultures of this job you know something we don't normally see so for me being in the city and Tyler and Randy being out in Michigan, we don't really see much of uh, wildland fires, you know, like the Californian, you know, wildland firefighters do. Or what would be a culture of, 
more of the Florida-based scenarios or even the active assailant scenarios. That's something that is a common occurrence now, unfortunately, but how do they handle it? So we, the main reason why we hold this podcast is to enlighten the culture of the job. Not to, there's no two departments with the same motive. There's no two departments with the same background and the same experience. I'm sure their SOGs and guidelines and procedures may be similar, but their development is different in their history and how they handle things are different. I know coming from Chicago, tradition is key. You know, how we have our hydrants, a different thread and the open and close of the actual hydrants completely different than most. That's all tradition, you know, to, to discover how New York or Miami does their things is what we want to bring the biggest insight for um, to you all. And then at the end of the day, when you return home or wherever you live after a long shift, you have a sense of being off duty. So we will have a follow-up episode or an attachment to this episode, a recap, a debrief that we could all turn to and unwind and just remind ourselves to be human. You know, I think it's an importance for both our physical, mental, spiritual health, but also just a sense of reminding and being humble of our roots. So what is it that makes us do what we do? What is it that makes us do what we do off duty? And what is it that really makes us human? With that being said, let's kick off with our first topic, which is going to be news. Something we discover and maybe come across through ever since we've developed this podcast is a new plug. Something we caught on social media, something we caught on through news or just exposure. How do we reflect on that and how do we learn from that? How can we discover ourselves in our career and others? So for today, I think the ultimate big change that we have in medicine, fire, law, military is COVID. What, <laughs> I'm sure, I think ultimately as we're sitting here talking about the subjects we're going to be discussing over the podcast, we wanted to maybe stay away from COVID because that's all we hear day in, day out. But it, it is an important concept of our, our career nowadays because it's almost the new norm. So I would almost say is just as important as any other thing we discussed. You know, what? how has this changed our career? So Randy, like you working on the east side of the state and having worked several amount of years before COVID was a thing to now, what have you seen different? And has there been positive and negative outcomes out of this? We noticed when COVID started, um, our call volume got cut in half. And it was nice to have the break, but unfortunately, when we did have calls, they were for, you know, legitimate emergencies. Um, and we kind of really didn't get a break from those um, real emergencies. And even on the transfer side of things, taking people from one hospital to the other with this disease that we knew nothing about was um, terrifying. Um, we didn't know um, what, to, what was going to keep us safe, what was going to you know, get us sick, get our families sick. Um, so it was, it was very, very stressful, um, on the emergency and the, um, transfer side of things. Um, 
I think ultimately it was just a mindset of like, here's a warning, here's what's going on, and here are the new guidelines. At least for me, is we had all these new guidelines we had to follow, but then it was just it felt so restrictive on our care, you know. So how did you sense your clinic, you know, clin- clinical? <laughs> I was almost having to struggle with that word. How was your clinical care different? Um, I didn't really change how I cared for people clinically. Um, I know there was guidelines, policies, procedures that we were, um, for example, you know, for a cardiac arrest, unknown reason why that we were only working for these people for, you know, about half the time that we would have normally before we'd call and request for a time of death. Um, on the, the handful of cardiac arrests that I, I ran, I, you know, I gave them every opportunity to try to get, get a, you know, come back. And to try to, you know, at least come back and say goodbye to their family or whatever, whatever we possibly could kind of get an outcome, um, which was not well taken by some agencies and departments that we worked with. But um, it, uh, I had to lay my head in bed at night and, and be okay with my actions that I did. And just because now there's a, a bug going around that we at least know about now at this point. That it's been around, you know, for a while ahead of time, but um, I didn't think that was fair. And if that was my loved one, and I had, uh, you know, they were had a medical emergency and they weren't given all the treatments that were necessary or needed, just because of some doctor somewhere thought that this was a good idea, um, I didn't quite agree with that. Absolutely, I could say it didn't change my clinical care as well. You know, I think it just it became a worrisome more in the sense of. I didn't want to bring this home to family members. I didn't want to bring it home and affect my family. You know, I wish there was a way that I could just completely decon my career and my equipment so I could come home and just completely unwind. But I, it did cause a lot of members to be fearful. And it came to a point where a lot of members, they were sleeping in hotel rooms just to stay away from family because they were worried that they were going to infect the family members. But now we're at a, uh, an in, or I guess a, we live in a culture of EMS and medicine where we are so submerged. I mean, you know, God bless for all of us to be very, you know, in, in direct wanting to pursue this job and stay on this job. I know it's taken a lot of tolls onto people um, just emotionally and physically. But now we're at a point where they're telling services to not bring patients to the hospital as much. I know like L.A. County. You know, they released that whole attribute or the whole uh, guideline saying don't bring patients to the hospital if they don't truly need the hospital. And that was giving paramedics the the right of way to make that decision or the scope to make that decision of deciding who, who does and does not. I, you know, my career started into the EMS where it was like if a patient wants to go for whatever reason, we took them. Even if it was a little stub toe, we took him. No matter what, we took him to the ER. We didn't have a choice. We didn't have a choice. And there were times that became frustrating because you get called out to a stub toe, you already start your patient contact, and then you hear your radio go off for a full rest of a pediatric. And here I am thinking of like, if you could just manage the stub toe on your own and ice it, and if I could just tell this patient, like, stay home, ice it, take some ibuprofen, relax, elevate it, all the whole the whole rice acronym. Just do that. And if I could walk away and go handle this 
this peds call that I know that the the nearest ambulance is minutes and almost you know an hour away, and this happened in real life. This happened in a real scenario for me, and it I became so frustrated not at the patients, not at you know what was going on, but at the system that I wish I had a a scope that I could make that decision, and now they're implementing this at LA County, and I think it it's. Be- brought up a lot of heat because you've got the clinicians who say, wow, paramedics aren't trained to make that ultimate decision. And then you got other paramedics who are wondering like, am I going to get sued for this? Cause what if I tell someone to stay at home from a stub toe and they end up having a STEMI, you know, where does that become my fault? So, and of course, as clinicians, we are always afraid of lawsuits, the wrong thing that's said, the wrong thing that's done. It becomes fearful, you know, if we don't stay by the book. Um, I think it, it's 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 definitely a lot of trust. I think it's it's an implementation that's important because you got these you know these hospitals and providers that are well overwhelmed um, systematically that they're taking care of a lot of these patients that don't necessarily need hospital rooms, and then you got all these other patients that really truly need these equipments and assets that aren't available because they're taken up. But whose decision is that ultimately to be made? You know, is that us? Is that doctors? Is that lawyers? I don't know. I think it's definitely going to be something for the history books. Absolutely. The status quo needs to change from what we've been practicing forever. And being able to um, take care of people at home and get them uh, different services or traveling nurses or something. Um for these non-emergency matters that could be handled by a primary care doctor the next day or uh, even urgent care. Um, I know some places, um, agencies are able to transport to urgent cares and or uh, freestanding ERs instead of your major hospitals uh, for um, minor minor care. I think that's definitely something that needs to needs to come in, into fruition here uh, sooner than later uh, to take that burden off the major ERs. Um, but out of everything, the good and bad from this COVID, because uh, there has been some good things too. Um, this might not be the easiest or the most obvious things to look at, but there has been some positives. Um, we need to learn um, as a society that this stuff is going to continue to happen. Uh, we're going to have superbugs. We're going to have um, these issues, and we need to learn how to live cleaner. We need to learn how to better take care of ourselves. We need to focus on personal hygiene and keeping distance from people, um, washing your hands uh, with soap and water. Um, For more than 20 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, you know, if you're sick, stay home. If, you know, especially we, we've seen all the people who were able to stay at home during this pandemic and who were able to continue to function their job and complete the job, you know, virtually or remotely, where, okay, so clearly we we can do this remotely. Like, we don't have to be in the office um, every single day getting other people sick around the water cooler, et cetera. Um, uh, for example, uh, I've worked for an organization that if you got sick and even had a doctor's note, you presented the doctor's note, you still got in trouble or with attendance points for, for calling in sick that they, they didn't cut. Even if you had a doctor's note, they didn't excuse that absence. 
that's the kind of stuff that's just unacceptable to me. Where if you're sick enough, you actually go in into urgent care, primary doctor, whatever, get a note. Like, you just don't be, I don't want you at work. I don't want you taking, and this is a healthcare field, healthcare position. So that just does not make any sense to me to put people in jeopardy like that and uh, to continue, continue to spread. Um, I think it's a very good point. I mean, you do have that concern of like, if you are possibly contaminated or affected by this pandemic and you come to work and now you're affecting all the, or potentially affecting all these other coworkers, you're pretty much deteriorating the system. And the, what I've experienced is the same asset is just be very cautious. If you have any concerns then call off, but then you also have the concern on a leadership slash department aspect of you have all these people calling off. Now, where's your staffing? You know, you have shortages of staff members and do you, I mean, that, that'll be, I personally have never been affected by it yet. Knock on wood. Um, but it'll be hard for me to know that I, yes, okay, I'm, I'm home. I'm keeping my coworkers safe. But now because of that, there's no paramedic available for that engine. And now that engine is not being able to protect the civilians as well. Like, I, I don't know. It's, it seems like it's a, a very tough perspective on things. You know, it's... Uh, yeah, from it's almost, a, a management position, absolutely. Um, it would be very difficult to keep your staffing numbers up and stuff like that but um you also can't have citizens coming in sick so end of story or you can't have um employees coming in and getting people sick you just can't so obviously there's gonna be those the five percent of people that are going to take advantage of that um and then you know then come up with different policies and procedures to uh, weed them people weed those people out um there's there's got to be better answers to things sure so there's, there's just gotta be. Well, we we are going to be in the next textbook for EMT. You know what I mean? Like we're <laughs> yep. going to be we're the culture the of EMS. Yep. We're going to be in the news. We are in history. And speaking of history, I mean, what what do you feel like your experience on about the vaccine? You know, how is that? Do you feel like have you personally taken it? Um, do you feel like it's been improving? I mean, does it make you more comfortable to have a vaccine for it? And knowing that, like, okay you may be protected you may not be protected because this pandemic is multi-forming and always adapting and there's always different strains so i definitely i'm very happy that they were able to come up with something to help start protecting people um have i personally gotten the shot yet no uh and nor do i plan to in in any time in the near future um my sister who's a nurse when i told her this she was she looked at me a little cross-eyed and goes, are you, are you anti-vax now? And I told her to stick it somewhere. <laughs> That's the dumbest thing. Um, no, I'm not anti-vax. I'm very much for vaccines. Um, in my opinion, they kind of rushed us. Um, they rushed this vaccine out the door. Uh, I know that they've been working on this style of vaccine for a long time, um, which does give me some comfort, but... I just, the the vaccine is not going to be the end-all, cure-all. You know, as soon as you get the vaccine, you know, a little pixie dust fairy wand is going to come over and um, you're not not going to ever, you know, have it again or you're not going to be able to transmit it to somebody else. And that's, just, that's just false reality. Sure. Um, that we have to keep our distance. We have to wear masks. We have to do all this stuff, other, other things. Sure. Um, so, 
Do I think it is it going to help down the road? Yes, but I think people are going to be using this as a handicap um, and you know, restricting travel or restricting people coming into work if they have or had not had this shot yet. And it's just it's false hope, in my opinion. Sure, it's understandable. You know, I think it's so unknown right now. That's the unfortunate part is that we don't know much about it or how this pandemic's going to be changing in the future. I mean, I could see this being an annual, almost like a flu shot. You take it every year. Absolutely. You know, and uh, at, at what point do we, you know, you can't get 10,000 shots every year. It's just no. not practical. The biggest issue I can see now is in the healthcare is that healthcare agencies and, and places requiring it to work there that you have to get, get the shot and um, much so much like a flu shot or something. Um, or you you know, you have to take, you know, you use your personal protective equipment or whatever. Um, I can see it heading that direction. So then I'll probably bite in and just get it over with. But, um, just to, to keep that freedom. Um, but for me personally, I feel like this has been eye opening in the sense of like, you know, you learn about BSI scene safety in school. You know, that's like your first, <laughs> your first standard for national registry. Besides safety, you, know, you don't say that you fail. Um, and this is testing our BSI scene safety attributes. And I think I've, over my years, I've become maybe slightly complacent. I see a little bit of blood on my, my leg or my pant because from a last patient kind of turn an eye, you know, you're just like, okay, you clean the best you can, but you, are you changing your pants? Are you changing your uniform completely? Um, you're not. And now it's just like a, an opening of like, yo, you should go back to your station. You should get brand new uniform, get a brand, just decon your truck completely for any kind of exposure. And it's uh, it's been game changing for sure. Uh, and just, uh, this is coming from the guy who uh, one of the last calls we ran on was a uh, call where we had to land a helicopter and extricate this guy out ooh. of the highway. And uh, we get on scene, and it was a one-car MVA with entrapment. It's versus a pickup truck, I think. It was a, uh, um, what was a dump truck. Not a forklift, a, uh, uh, a tow truck. A tow truck with its boom down, so it was massive intrusion to the passenger side of this vehicle. And the guy was had a, was not awake, not alert, but he did have a pulse. And uh, so the back windshield was blown out. And uh, we're coming up, checking on this car, or whatever. And I'm like, where, where did Vince go? Where did I don't I don't see Vince anywhere. And he is like Superman across the back seat, like with his legs out on the bumper, and he's holding C spine, and didn't have any gloves on or any anything. Uh, OSHA would just have a field day with this yeah, call. Shame on me. Um, and he's holding C spine, and there's I mean he's got he's just leaking out of everything out of his out of his head. Uh, and there's definitely some uh, open head injury there too, and um, so I'm out there suctioning the best I possibly can. We're waiting for fire to show up to pop this door open, and it's just uh, um, it's even hard to walk because it was so icy out. Um, and we were able to uh, get this guy out and uh, get him flown out. And after the call, I, I threw a pair of gloves at Vince, and I'm <laughs> as a you know, jokingly type of thing. I was like, "You want some gloves, there, buddy?" Uh, he's just completely his hands and arms are just you know covered and, and god knows what and ever since then every time i run a call i always throw an extra pair of gloves at him sure even if uh he already has them on i just throw an extra pair at him right i mean i always i, I think it's important i think bsi c safety is huge and that includes our gloves and ppe you know that was just a moment of uh i reacted 
You know, I for me, when I see patients in danger or in, in critical situations, I see them as family members and how I hope somebody out there would respond. And that was just hands in, do what you can. And ultimately, I don't know if I ever followed up with this. I, I end up crossing paths with this patient again months, almost a year later. Didn't even think about it. But once I heard the story from the family of what happened to this patient, I became like starstruck. That was like, whoa, this is our guy. You know, I didn't think the outcome was great. You know, I mean, yeah, he had severe head trauma, but he was still responsive and able to communicate with his family um, by, you know, grip and, and pen and paper. But he he lived for three, four, five years later and ultimately was sepsis that's got him. But, you know, but our job was done. Our job was, was we did what we did and maintained his life and got him to the hospital and get ready for the next one. That's awesome. That was That was great. You know that's uh, that was, I'm surprised you brought that up because that that's definitely one of the top calls I have in my my book of uh, you know diary of EMS calls. So that's a good one for sure. Well, there's our little plug of news because obviously everything news related is gonna be COVID nowadays with everything going on. So let's transition gears onto the education realm of what we do. I think all of us here sitting around the table for this podcast, we all have a little bit of an insight and passion when it comes to education, whether it's for active or recruits to kind of incorporate their future aspirations to the job. But we all play a significant role. You know, myself being a trainer, educator for the Army, uh, Randy really been progressive on the FTO position for EMS and Tyler now being a lieutenant on his fire department. You know, he's really progressed on the aspect of connecting the voice for the fellow firefighter and command. You know, there seems to be wherever you go, there seems to be a little bit of a lack of uh, not so much communication, but a lack of um how would you say it, Tyler? Compassion? No, not compassion. I would say understanding. Connection. Connection. There we go. Simple words. All right? of the above. All of the above. And it's not only, I would say, uh, instruction as well, you know. Um, everybody thinks education, they immediately go to who knows more. Uh, we got some things, I think, brewing here that's going to really go over, like, application processes and being the student you know that that on its own is something I struggled with I had to learn how to be a student you know how to be a candidate how to be uh, an applicant for a lot of these different scenarios all across the I mean the spectrum for career-wise so I think we'll have a lot of both sides of the coin when it comes to education whether you know instruction and the learning aspect so. absolutely and i think on the under other side of the spectrum is the leadership you know we have a leadership to make decisions to make um ultimatums to lead the way but there seems to be a loss of stewardship and i know that's probably an episode within itself but it's the stewardship of leadership you know to be a servant leader Versus just a leader, hey, Randy, do this and that. It's, hey, Randy, this is what we are going to do. This is how we need to do it. And then just 
reminding ourselves as leaders that we are there not for ourselves, but for the people we are leading. And that's true leadership, you know, and that think uh, no matter where you go, there's always going to be a disconnect there, but it takes individuals to have compassion for that, that role and responsibility. But that leads into education. I think there always is a sense of education and a mindset of being humble to stay educated. Medicine is always transforming, is always adapting. Fire is always adapting as well. You know, building materials is different. Fire is going to be fought differently. Um, Safety, when it comes to anything we do nowadays, is going to be changing. Just like we talked about COVID, our scope has changed, but our practice needs to be even stronger, so to speak. So, Randy, when it comes to education, I know this is kind of your cue because this FTO position, you love to to kind of push people. It's almost like that meme where you see a bird flying off a nest and you're like, the bird's kicking the little baby bird off and like, fly, explicit, because that's EMS. <laughs> you know, it's just, <laughs> it's all. go at it, all you know, of them. no hesitation. But what is, uh, when it comes to education, how do, how do you foresee yourself leading this podcast i want to go back to that leadership thing you're talking about that's a real big hot topic that i have um there are managers and there are leaders and you can tell really quickly if you think about those two things people who are lead from the front who are always there first and last out and make sure they're taking care of their uh their people that they are underneath them and then we've had those bosses that are that that's just it bosses they're uh um you know, nine to five, they won't stay and help out. They don't go the extra step. They don't make sure that we're okay. Um, and if you stop and think about it, you know, we've all had those people. Um, we want to make sure that we are leaders and not just bosses. Uh, people who have just been given that title without any actual, you know, meaning to it. Um, but on the education front, uh, big education guy, um, uh, never really thought I would ever want to spend my time in a classroom. Um, but, uh, I had an opportunity a couple years ago to help out with, uh, the paramedic, um, academy at Macomb Community College and was able to come in there and really reach out to some people and really help them out while helping myself out. And, um, really, really absolutely loved it. Um, and then was asked to come back as a, a lab instructor. So I get to uh, go in there and help the uh, paramedic students out with lab instruction. Um, and, uh, and then I'm also a field training officer it was when I was in dispatch. Um, and then now uh, as a paramedic on the road uh, in Flint. Um, I make people think about what they're doing, not just why we're doing things. You know, not just going through the motions, um, but, you know, why are you starting that IV? Why do you need to start a big IV? Why do you need to pre-alert the hospital that, you know, this stroke patient, you know, that we're 20 minutes out with the stroke patient and we need to get them ready so that we can have good chain of um, chain of care and get, uh, you know, people where they need to go? Or, you know, why are we pushing this medication? How do we push this medication? Um, and not just doing the things, but actually making them not just talking about things but actually making them do things um it's almost like going back to the whole mona you know for those paramedics emts out there like what is mona right what is it moana moana no it's (laughs) morphine oxygen nitro aspirin right you get the understanding of a chest pain and you got to understand like what's the dosage 
and what's the route, but also what is it physically doing to the patient? And because my biggest concern as a caretaker is when the patient looks up and be like, why are you giving me that? You don't want to just stand there like, well, because my protocol says so. No, you want to be able to give the science behind it. And this is what that drug is going to do to your body. It's that even further advancement of knowledge that is really important to us. Absolutely. Um, when I first started, it, I got a lot of you know flack back because I am kind of a nerd when it comes to emails. I'm clearly I'm helping out with the podcast, so I'm a little bit of a nerd about it. What do you mean? No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, you know I've definitely found it my niche anyway. Um, but you know, really, once I'm able to get through um, with these students and with these field interns, it's uh, it's, it's like the light bulb turns on once they get with the program that this is how I operate things. Um, I usually, you know, I get, I do get good, good compliance with that. And then I, um, I turn out a better product. Um, I don't clear somebody until they, I would feel comfortable with them working on me or my loved ones. Kind of the way I look at things right or wrong. Um, and maybe I, I, I'm a little too harsh on these people, but, um, this isn't just a, a job like a Monday through Friday, nine to five job where we can go home afterwards. Like we have to, um, talk about things we have to. Um, keep things up in our minds, read things, listen to podcasts about things, um, and be kind of, you know, kind of ingrained with it until maybe we get really comfortable. But also with getting with comfortable things, you get complacent. So um, it's another reason why I want to do this podcast, just to keep people up in, um, on, on topics and issues and, and even uh, make myself a better provider um, by being able to um, keep things fresh in my head. I think it's a way to provide information or just a sense of like, hey, I should keep up on my knowledge, whether it's on and off duty. Even on your drive home, if you're listening to this or you're on shift, or you're not doing anything, you listen to this as a crew. You know, I think it's just as important. So when it comes to personal motivation, I guess, what does training mean to you? So... Coming through different agencies, different locations, um, doing different jobs. One thing that we do not do well in is continuing education and, um, you know, actually um, k- keeping up on the, the skills of the job. Um, I had a boss uh, years and years ago. Uh, I overheard him talking to somebody else, and he said that it's not his job to make EMTs into EMTs. It's his job to manage them. And I, I kind of thought, you know, for a second, oh, that kind of sounds dumb. Like, why? I mean, but he was looking at it from a manager's perspective and not as a fellow human being, teacher, leader, um, to make these people better clinicians. He didn't, he didn't care about that. He just wanted them to clear runs and get back in service so that we can do more runs. Um, and that really bothered me. It, it kind of still bothers me that mindset. Um, yes, he's not an initial educator. Um, and yes, he has a company to run, but um, you have people's lives that you're taking care of. And that's just uh, um, something that you just can't take lightly. Um, I didn't have a lot of great, I had a, a, good, a lot of great initial educators, um, but I did not have a lot of good. Um, continuing education educators, including field training officers. Um, when I was uh, a new a new paramedic, um, and even as a new EMT, I didn't have that mentor. I didn't have that person to look up to. 
um, there was a lot of, you know, I'm more important than you. Just do what I say. Not, you know, not explaining things. Egos. Egos. Exactly. And I kind of vowed to myself to not be like that. And when I did get an opportunity to train someone is to train them how I wish I had that training. Um, and maybe I'm a little harsh on people at times, but you know what? Sometimes it's tough love, but, uh, I would almost um, say it's like parenting. You I know, turn you out a, a child product. and you're like, I want you to have a childhood that I wish I had in a way or what I've learned from. Exactly. Yep. And leave the world a better place than what we found it. Sure. Um, so hopefully, you know, somebody's learning from somewhere. If not, they're either way, they're still paying me good money to do sure. it. So. <laughs> what about you, Tyler? I know you've been gone for a while because you cooked us an amazing dinner. <laughs> that I think we have both uh, very happily had. But uh, when it comes to your motivation, I mean, what is, why training? Why why do you put an emphasis on this? Well, I mean, you, you can strip everything down to like the core basics of the leadership and the self progression and the stewardship of the the history and the trade that you're in um you know it i think the people the people out there that are progressing are always the ones training i mean and that that's the ones we like to surround ourselves with um those are the conversations that we we seek and i i feel this podcast and this media will um, really have some opportunities and uh, bring out the best in us about it. So, you know, kind of going back to your leadership and everything too. You know, uh, real. You know, with the training and just the excitement I have for this, because this is just kind of freehand off the, you know, offhand, you know, conversations is getting the other side of things. I mean, if you haven't told by now, listening that we're bunch of hose dragon ambulance drivers you know <laughs> i'm really excited to see i love law enforcement i love uh uh i want to see the dispatch side the military take on all of this stuff too there i mean that's the stuff where because i don't have those experiences firsthand so um, sure I'm, I'm curious to see if what that side of the thin lines here or with their trainings, with their history, with their traditions. Just to know what else exists. I know. I'm sure it runs close to the same core principles with all the training and leadership and everything we've kind of touched on here, but uh, no, it should be uh, should be pretty interesting. I, I mean, like I said, I can go back to being, you know, uh, you know, Randy and his love for instructing and everything. And I, I occasionally like to teach a CPR class and I like to be a part of education and kind of my role in my department is to take on new hires and candidates and kind of make sure they meet the the little bit of a standard we have and uh but I love being a student that's that's kind of you know out of our conversations me and you and Vince and I uh, I mean I've gotten the most out of it when my head hurts at the end of it because <laughs> then you know two days later I go ah, I see what you did there you know right so Almost like your interview little uh, scenario session I gave you when you were trying to interview for exactly uh, that's you know. about being an applicant and I just sure oh 
Absolutely. You know, something uh, within the military I'm sure you're going to experience soon here, but in order to become an NCO or, or uh, a sergeant and above in the military, you have to take classes for leadership. And uh, what they have now is now called BLC, uh, Basic Leadership Course. And it gives you a sense of knowledge of like, this is what is expected out of a leader. And yeah, it's a lot of essays and computer work and stuff like that, but it gives you a sense of being able to reflect on the ultimate question of what does it mean to be a leader? And I, I was given the opportunity to put it on paper and just talk about the servant leadership. You know, a leader is not just taking information and telling people how to do it, but it's also showing them how to do it. You know, you lead by example. Um, I think, and not, I, I'm always going to be humble about this and I will always take it to heart, but I want to use an example because it's something I've kept in my mind. But when I went through the fire Academy for Chicago, um, day, like day one, you know, there's a lot of people who didn't experience the military background and how to form and do a formation and Chicago's Academy was very paramilitary. So I stood up and I was like, Hey, you guys, how about we form up? How about we make ranks? How about we dress right dress? And it wasn't at the end of the academy, you know, they end up the, the class ended up picking me as their leader of the cycle or leader of the class, and I was given an award for it. Um, but it wasn't the fact that I stood up and told people what to do. Is that I stood up and when I messed up, and they told me like, "Hey, you know, maybe you should do this instead," I stayed humbled. I was like, "You're absolutely right." You know, ultimately, and I told them, ultimately, I'm just your voice. You guys tell me how you want to run this show. And I'm just going to stand up and be like, everybody, listen up. This is how we're going to do it. And I think that's what ultimately gave me the respect from my, my colleagues and my peers is that I was their voice. You know, they kind of put them all on the same page. And to me, that's what leadership means is to be the voice of the people you're serving. You know, or the people that are serving under you, so to speak. So... But to give you all the insight of uh, education, you know, this is all about fun and games when it comes to podcasts. So we've had our fun. Now let's play our games and do a little bit of a snarl drill because we want you to be picking your brains and like, hmm, what do you think about this? So I know Randy's homework for this session was to give us a scenario breakdown. And while he's picking Tyler and I's brain about how we'd handle this and we, Tyler and I, have no idea what the scenario is either, so this is going to be all unfiltered. While you're sitting there listening to this podcast, I want you to be doing the same. Whether you're MFR, EMT, paramedic, anything above, or neither, I want you to think about in your role in the service, so even as a police officer, how would you respond to this scenario? Or where would you implement yourself that's in the scenario? I'm, that's what I'm excited to see. I Absolutely. Want, I want to see some law enforcement. I want to see some dispatch side yep. things, because... Yep. So we're going to try to touch it up, you know, touch up all the bases here, you know, from the minute it's dispatch, the minute the call's taken to dispatch questions, to toning out, to police, to officers, you know, on the fire department, everything, EMS, to the minute we transport to the hospital and hand over to the doctors. 